This year, I have plans and hopes for this podcast and beyond. I have so many stories I want to tell and so many people I want to interview. I'd like to bring people together to talk about families, about how our children shape us, and how we shape them. I want to learn, and to teach, how we can support each other through disappointments and through differences. But I sure could use your help in doing it. I've set up a Patreon page where you can support the work that Valerie and I are doing. Visit patreon.com slash cocoonstories. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash cocoonstories. Check out our goals, our tiers, and our benefits. And if you'd like, become our patrons, just like Alicia Fullerman and Stephanie Hyde did. Thank you so much, Alicia and Stephanie. And now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. One of the first requests we got when we started this podcast was a conversation about how women know when they're done having kids. It took us a while, but here it is. We talked to three women about their families. One who was tubes tied, done. Another who was firmly on the fence, leaning one way one day and another way the next. And another woman who was like, give me all the babies. Of course, we knew going into this endeavor that there is no one size fits all. There is no take this quiz and find out how many kids you should have. There is not necessarily a magic number or a magic feeling. We knew that for many women, the decision is just as much an emotional decision as it is a rational one, that often spirituality and religion enter the picture, and that to even be having this conversation is a serious privilege, and at times a very weighty privilege. We share these conversations with the hope that others, maybe even you, can hear and discern what aspects of the decision are important to you and which are not. Maybe you'll recognize some of your own hopes and thoughts and fears. But we also hope that you will make space for these women to have their own ideas and values and lives, and that you wish them well on their personal journeys. What is clear from all the talking we did is that childbearing is no joke, and being done with that phase of your life is not easy. But let's start by meeting the ladies who are going to walk us through their minds and hearts. My name is Stephanie Robertson. I live in Le'ie, Hawaii. Um, I'm the mother of four kids. I have three boys and then we got one girl at the end there. My husband's a social worker and a therapist and I am a special instructor at the English department at BYU-Hawaii and a grad student in the English department at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. Yeah, and I love to study um, mindful writing. That's what I'm all about right now. My name is Alana Smith and I am married. I have five children. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I'm a mom of children who are starting to get older, and it's a little bit weird. My name is Andrea Weaver. We live in Clovis, California, which is right next to Fresno. Um, My husband, Ryan, and I have been married for 12 years. We have seven children. The oldest is 11. The youngest is one. Three boys, four girls. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool. And that's it. That's my life right now. Life right now. But not forever. Not always. Bearing and raising children is a phase of life. Something that physically we can only do for so long. And mentally, emotionally, financially, sometimes not as long. Some can handle bearing children longer than others. Some with more choice than others. But when and why the phase ends and we move on isn't always clear, as Alana knows. 
I kind of go back and forth a lot. Like sometimes I'm like, we should have another kid. Why not? I, I could totally do this. And then other times I'm like, maybe that's a bad idea. On the good idea side of the scales, pregnancy. I really love being pregnant. I love having babies. I love giving birth. I think it's really miraculous and wonderful. On the bad side, children. But I don't know that I can actually handle any more children in my life. And so it's like, well, my husband's like, you can't have be pregnant and not have another child. And I'm like, yeah, that is true. He's right about that. So yeah, it's just, it's very complicated though, you know? Oh, we know. Back to the good idea side. Well, and this is so dumb, but like, we just, we bought a huge van this year, like a huge van. And I'm like, we could fit another kid in there. Hey. And, and our house, when we lived in Manassas, our house, we were really crowded. And then this house is actually a six bedroom house. And it's, it's not a big fancy house, but it, we have room for a kid. And so I'm like, well, shouldn't we be having a kid since we have room for it? And the bad idea side. My husband's like, no, I don't think it works that way. I don't think you have to have a kid just because you could. She may have a point there. Just like you probably don't have another baby just because your sister's expecting and you want to have cousins the same age. Or maybe you do. But of course, there are deeper concerns. Like, who am I if I'm not a mom? It was a couple of years ago. Um, my husband had a, a conference in Williamsburg. Like, have you heard of like downtown Colonial Williamsburg where you go and they... Yes. Okay, so yeah, so I went with him and my sister stayed and watched all my kids and I just wandered around Williamsburg while he was in conferences. And I, I did, I felt like I had no identity all of a sudden. Like there'd be all these people with their kids and I wanted to be like, oh, I have kids. They're not here, but I have a lot of kids. I, I, I have a lot of kids. And yeah, I wanted to like carry a sign. It was like, just, you know, I do things, you know. And no, that is a huge part of my identity right now. And and yeah, exactly. Like, who am I when I'm not mothering actively? And there are, there are certainly, I mean, I, I know other parts of myself, but I, what do I do with those during the day, you know? They've all been kind of pushed down to, like, after bedtime. <laughs> or when I leave the house, you know, things like that. So it is, that'll be a big change. And that's where um, I feel like, I mean, I know it's going to happen no matter what. I have to deal with that at some point. So if I have another kid, I'm just putting off the inevitable by a few years. But... It is easy to put off, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that does sound nice. I'm like, oh, I should think about that more later. <laughs> it can be really scary to realize you're reaching the end of a road and that there is nothing beyond it or nothing you can see beyond it. Is it a cliff, a bramble, or a pleasant meadow filled with wildflowers where you can sit and hear yourself think for the first time in a decade? On the one hand, the prospect could be daunting or discouraging. And I worry that I'll just... So I, I love, I'm just, I'm a reader and I could read books all day long. I can read, you know, websites on my phone. And I'm like, what if I just sit around and don't do anything? And then I'm a disappointment to myself. What if I'm kind of a loser when all my kids go to school? And it's, it's really a scary thought, honestly. But on the other hand, a pleasant vision of what lies beyond can help ease the way. It was partly that vision that helped Stephanie forge her path after childbearing. Basically, as of you know, mom raising these babies and feeling a little sleep deprived and crazy and not really being able to snatch moments to do my own writing projects here and there, I found it really hard to focus. And um, when it would be time to finally sit down to just get into that deep, hard focus required sometimes for just digging in and writing something, 
So, um, being a yogi and someone who really enjoys meditation, I would start meditating before I would write. And I found really good results from it. So I tried it out on my students at BYU Hawaii as guinea pigs. <laughs> and so every class day, basically we meditate for a bit and then they have this journal of free writes that they just write, write, write. Um, and we, we've seen really great results from it. And so I applied for the university of Hawaii in the master's program um, got in under the guise of wanting to study this some more. Of course, having another calling to grab onto isn't necessarily what spurred Stephanie's decision to be done. It feels great in the sense that uh, my pregnancies got harder and harder as the, as a, each one. You know, like the first one was a little rough, second one's okay, the third one kind of rough, and then the fourth one was just I was down for a lot of it. And so it feels really exciting to no longer have so much time and energy of mine and my family's going into the growing of these babies. And, and now we're into the raising of the baby stage, which is very exciting. Um, and it's exciting to have my wits about me a little bit more and not be so sleep deprived all the time and to have my body back a little bit to be able to function and, and run around and play with these kids and raise them is fantastic. On the heart-wrenching side, you know, I'll admit when I see a brand new, fresh out of the womb baby, something inside of me aches and hurts, and and that's really hard. Um, uh, and luckily, I'll frequently know the person and get to hold that baby and soak them in and sniff them, and you know, all those good things. And then it does feel good to hand them back. And okay, and so there's two sides to the coin for sure. It may be hard to let go of that time in your life, but as Stephanie points out, you can bring your kids along with you on whatever adventures await beyond childbearing. While she is in grad school, she does have to spend time away from her kids, so she relishes the opportunity to take them along with her when she can, to show them the classrooms and the buildings where she spends her time. In fact, it wasn't so long ago that she was invited to confront one of the central questions in this discussion in one of those classrooms. I found myself in a classroom last week where there was a guest speaker who asked us all to introduce ourselves by saying what our mission in life was. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. And, and, I, and I came upon to bring my kids with me along with whatever I do with my studies, my career, my hobbies, and to grow together. And I would say that a lot of my friends would say that their life's mission was all about their babies and raising their babies, which I think is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And, and so I think that for some, their life's mission is going to be having several children. And, and I don't know if any of us ever really feels like we're done. I've run across a couple, um, friends of mine who sometimes hilariously are like, Oh no girl, I'm done. <laughs> like the door is closed. Like, and I have never felt that way, but I still feel like I'm done. You know, I, I'm sure at the end of my last pregnancy, I probably, if you would have asked me then been like, Oh well, no, you know, um, I went as far as to even, you know, tie my tubes. Like I'm done because it was so traumatic, but, um, I've never actually felt done. And so I don't know if there's such a finality to it for everybody. And so I think what might have to happen is some serious soul searching on what's your life's mission? 
what do you want to get out of the rest of your life? What do you want to do with your time? You know, and a lot of my friends, for them, it is the bearing and raising of children, which I think is a beautiful thing. And for me, there was definitely a season where that, a good decade where that was my main focus, and I, I enjoyed it, you know. And now for me, I'm just so excited about the raising of the children part that I can't put any more time and energy into the bearing, <laughs> the growing, you know. Um, I, I don't, for me, feel like because of the way my body works, I don't feel like it's fair to my family if I did that again. Um, they all had to sacrifice so much so that I could have that last baby girl, and we're all so glad to have her. And now it's on to the next phase. So I think some, I think I had to do some soul searching on. Okay, this is it. I'm done, and I'm going to put all my time and energy now into raising these children. And part of that, at least for these two years, is setting this example for them of me setting a very hard goal for myself in grad school. I'm doing my best to just bring them along with me and not exclude them from that dream. We know, of course, there are lots of good things we could be doing with our time and our lives, and sometimes we can do multiple things at once. In our conversation with Alana, it came up that there may be parallels between what it takes to be a good mom on a day-to-day basis and what it takes to be a good human being in general. I kind of went through this thing after my second kid was born. We moved into our first house and it was a foreclosure and it was a dump when we moved into it. And it was cold and smelled bad. And it it took a lot of work to get it into a real home. But during that time, when we first were living there, I kind of, it was winter time and I, I get depressed in the winter anyway. And I got really not very happy. And I realized yeah, I'd stopped showering and getting dressed and putting on makeup. And I don't, I don't wear a lot of makeup. I just wear mascara, but that is makeup for me. Um, but I finally realized that I felt bad about myself because I was look, letting myself look so bad. And I made it a rule that I had to do two of three things. I had to blow dry my hair, get dressed, put on makeup, like pick two. <laughs> and it didn't matter which two, but you had to do at least two every day. Otherwise, I just felt kind of gross and sad. Blow dry your hair, mascara, get dressed, pick two. That's what that's what life is, right? It's like it's like picking two of those things. I think God purposely gave us a lot of options and he's like, all right, here's a lot of really good things you can do. And maybe that doesn't really clarify things so much if you are in the thick of the decision. But maybe it is helpful to know that there are times and seasons to your life and lots of good things you can do with it. Then again, it isn't always as simple as deciding or wanting or hoping. There are practicalities to consider. We asked each of our guests about the money issue. Kids are expensive, right? Clothes and food and college and all that. Our guests had a range of thoughts on family size and finances. We'll start with Alana, a stay-at-home mom whose husband works as a school principal. One of the biggest concerns has been how to pay for all these kids to go to college. And, you know, we, we're saving up for it, but we don't have nearly enough. I think we have like one year for one kid saved up or something ridiculous. Our finances are weird because like we were fine. We have our house, but like most of our money goes to the house and we're certainly not wealthy. Like they pay principals more than they pay teachers, but they still don't pay them a lot. Um I don't know. Finances are weird. I feel like you can feel really good or really bad about yourself depending on who you look at. But like day to day, I mean, you're not like, you're not like, 
if you had a six, like, how would I feed that child? How would I clothe them or give them swimming lessons? Yeah. Well, we don't do any of the swimming lessons. We're super cheap about all that. We we don't do most of that unless it's heavily subsidized by a grandparent or someone. Like, we, because we were on such a shoestring budget when my husband was a teacher. Like, we didn't, we just couldn't afford anything then. Um, and so we've just kind of mostly stayed with that. Um, yeah, we, we bought a bigger house and we, we do swim team in the summer, but like, we don't do soccer. We don't do preschool. We don't do most of that stuff just cause that's kind of how we've survived. Is that something that is an issue for you? I mean, do you like look at your life and think, oh man, if I didn't have this many kids, then I could, you know, get my kid into piano lessons or whatever. Um, sometimes, but then I remind myself that all the classes I took haven't, they didn't, it's not like I became any of those things. Like they were fun to do, but you know, I didn't become a professional singer cause I took singing lessons and I'm kind of like, you know, I, I think, especially I think sports are a really big deal for a lot of families, but I'm like, I don't know anyone whose kid became an athlete because they put them in soccer. And I think, I feel like parents do that to make themselves feel like good parents sometimes. And I don't know that's always good for the kid. We did, we did have three of the kids in soccer a year ago and they were all miserable. And, and I was just like, you know what? My kids don't love this enough for us to do this. Like some kids love it and they should do it. And I'm not saying that that's like a bad idea. But in our case, I was just like, I would rather keep that money and go to the zoo on a Saturday, you know, than be running around like crazy people with soccer. And, and it does occur to me sometimes that like, yeah, if we only had one kid, we would do all of that stuff. But I don't know that they'd be any happier. This gets at a couple of things that are important family planning considerations. First, what makes you happy? This may be just another way of asking what your life's mission is, but sometimes it helps to reword the question. Second, how good are you at keeping your eyes off of everyone else's paper? Being confident in your own path and not wanting to veer into someone else's is a pretty good skill to develop in family planning or, frankly, anything else. Also, It pays to question the pervading wisdom of the culture. Do you really need to sign up for all of the classes or buy all the new clothes or throw big birthday parties? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe you can provide the lessons and the skills they get from sports or music or whatever else in other ways. Maybe the very fact of growing up in a large family provides skills that children in smaller families develop in other ways. Maybe. There are a lot of maybes. Stephanie has some similar thoughts. I do live in Hawaii where it's very, um, it's some, I think it's the most expensive state to live in, in, in the U S. Um, if not, it's definitely one of the top three, <laughs> you know? Um, and so you do have to take that into consideration, but, um, I know families, big families out here who rely on one income, um, who make it work, you know, and, and they just are very clever about the way that they do things. And so I've observed them for sure as I was planning my family and having my babies. And I watched, um, there's a produce co-op that I'm a part of that a mother with a lot of kids started. Um, there's co-op preschools that moms do out here to try to save on preschool costs. Cause there's not a lot of preschool options out here. Um, and, just things that you would think that would be expensive about having a family. I've totally um, been a little bit of a observer, we'll call it, of families who have lots of kids or maybe the same amount of kids that we do. 
and seeing how they make it work. I've gone as far to ask them like, Hey, so what do you guys do? Um, without being totally nosy, you know, what do you guys do for like college? Do your kids, you know, like take home loans or, you know, um, if I feel like it's appropriate to ask them something like that, of course, um, just because, um, I guess being the youngest girl in a, in a family of four girls, a benefit of that has been watching my sisters, seeing what they do and adapting things that I think work really well and being like, okay, I'll try something different on other things. Um, just like, you know, moms who are younger than me, I'm sure do like with me, like, Oh, that works. I want to do that. Or, Oh my gosh, my kids will never do that. You know? So, um, you definitely have to take finances into consideration, but Um, I see a lot of young moms thinking that they have to like buy a house before they have kids or, or do this and this X, Y, and Z before they have kids. And I think there's nothing wrong with having goals and setting your own, um, plan in life and working your plan. Um, but that's not, there's no prerequisites really other than doing your best to provide a stable, loving home. So I think there's definitely ways to be creative. Um, and so, although we did have to consider it, um, finances, it wasn't the biggest contributing factor to how many kids we had. Andrea has a bit of a different take on it. We'll hear a lot more from Andrea soon, but to give you some context here, Andrea very much sees her life's work as being a mother to as many children as God will give her. She feels in her bones and her heart and her soul that she is a capital M mother and that having kids is a commandment she is fulfilling. So with that perspective, here's what she has to say about finances. Again, it's a very religious belief. For me, I believe that I was commanded to have children. And I believe there's a scripture, um, our book of, one of our main books of scripture is the Book of Mormon. And there's a scripture, First Nephi 3, 7, says, I will go and do the thing which the Lord hath commanded, for I know that the Lord giveth no commandment unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way. And just like paying your tithing might not make sense to somebody from a mathematical perspective, I don't have enough money, it's an act of faith. You do it, trusting that as you obey the Lord... He will make up the difference, and He will make it work. And I believe that that's the same for children. I've been commanded to have children. I believe it's a righteous desire. I believe that's what I'm supposed to be doing, and that as I act in faith, I believe that He will make it possible for my husband and I to care for them properly. It might not mean that we uh, have the finest clothing and the richest house, but I'm not so concerned about that. It's a, I think it's a pretty well-known fact that those things don't create real happiness. That's not where happiness is found. I think we've covered most of the basics here in what you may want to consider if you are thinking about having another baby or two or three. But having a large family can sometimes feel like a countercultural act. It can feel polarizing. As a mother of five kids in New York City, I can tell you that I have had my fair share of God bless yous and you have your hands fulls. I've had crazy people question my sanity and people all but gawk at my kids and I as we ride the train. And despite the fact that almost everyone is kind and generous, sometimes effusive and usually helpful, I feel like I am walking on eggshells, like people are waiting for me to mess up. Like if we are not on our best behavior at all times, we will be publicly humiliated. 
This isn't because people are mean, because they aren't. And it may not even be because people are judgy, because I don't know that they are. I think it is simply because it is a different choice than people are used to. It is a curious and not necessarily logical choice. And knowing that, knowing that this choice will be plain for others to comment on, that it might bleed over into their space briefly, that it might slightly inconvenience them if my children are being children, can be a heavy burden. In New York City, there are enclaves of large families here and there. There are the Orthodox Jews who cluster in neighborhoods like Borough Park and Crown Heights and Williamsburg and Brooklyn, where Lizzie and I live. You see a mom pushing a stroller with four or five older kids holding onto it, all the girls dressed in matching dresses, all the boys in matching shirts. In their neighborhoods and in their culture, which is pretty insular, large families are normal and expected. They have emotional support from inside their communities that normalizes large families. But the culture as a whole is not so supportive. Case in point. Recently, a young mother, Malaysia Goodson, was carrying her baby in a stroller down the subway stairs, which every parent of young children has to do all the time. Malaysia fell and tragically died. Her baby was fine, and in truth, her death may not have been caused by the fall. We don't know. But the incident points to how difficult New York City is for young families. They are not accommodated well. It can feel like a subtle way of saying, you aren't welcome here. Each of our guests has support from their religious community, but they also live in more culturally diverse neighborhoods. When Alana is out with her five kids, she feels the weight of being the mother of many children. It's one of the reasons she is careful to dry her hair, get dressed, and or put on makeup. Pick two. She doesn't want to give them the impression that she can't handle her life. But no, I definitely have that feeling of like, I feel like people are ready to judge me and I don't want to give them an excuse to. Um, which actually, honestly, has been really educational for me to under- to help me understand like the whole concept of white privilege. That I'm like, I get where if, if you have a different skin color and you can't ever put that down and you're worried about people judging you, how you would have to feel on all the time. Kind of like how I feel when I have all my kids with me. But I can go someplace without my kids if I need to. So that's that's white privilege right there, I guess. Stephanie, as a white or Howley lady living in Hawaii, has a different experience. Polynesian families, you know, lots of babies, um, and that's the norm, and it's fantastic. Um, and then also there's, I will say there were a few people who are like, oh, you're done? Oh, no, after four kids, I thought, woof, I got plenty of kids, you know. Um, so... But there wasn't anyone who made me feel bad for not having more or anything like that. So it's really, we've got a great spectrum here of families who have one or two kids, and that's fantastic. And families who have 10 kids, and that's fantastic. And so um, the good news is there's not a certain expectation either way that I feel. I can't speak for Samoans living um, in more Samoan culture from day to day or Tongans or Maoris or, you know, um, but as just a Howley lady living in Le'ie, um, everyone supported me either way. And that's fantastic. And, um, it is really kind of a beautiful thing that we have a very safe community for the most part. It's not a perfect society. There's definitely still problems in our community, just like anywhere else. But, I would say that, you know, a large family is no one even bad an eyelash. If you had, you know, 10 kids, they would be, they would applaud you. They would think that's fantastic. And 
and so yeah it's kind of unique and, and special that way and and if you have one or two kids same thing fantastic good job and so um i'm sure in the past that it was expected um like perhaps in our religion maybe to have more kids but that's not necessarily the case anymore and so people are really supportive either way definitely Andrea, however, with her seven children, like me, gets a lot of looks and a lot of unwanted attention. Oh yeah, well, our every time every time we go out, so much so that one of my children, they were small, like five or six maybe. Um, we got home from the grocery store, and one of the children said to me, "Mom, why does everybody stop and talk to us when we go <laughs> when we go out?" The children noticed it. They're like, "Why does everybody want to talk to us?" And I explained that it was because we were weird. It's kind of unusual to have a big family, and so people are interested. For the most part, I think I get a lot of kindness. I think I'm probably very naive. I'm probably distracted a lot because sometimes when I'm out with my husband and all of the children, mm-hmm. he'll say things like, people are lo- looking at us, or did you see that person? Or this person, I think he notices it more than I do, the negative maybe. I've had probably, I could tell you, five occasions where I've had somebody say something really rude or even obscene. Oh, I had a man say something horrible to me once that I can't even repeat. Um, But, you know, I believe this so, so strongly that that it doesn't stop me. I'm sure there are lots of different personality types and belief systems that would both want to have a lot of children and be able to handle it emotionally, physically, and mentally. Andrea is one of those. So let's dive a little deeper into her life and her thoughts. Being a mother has always been my deepest desire. I feel like it's so deep inside of me. It's so much who I am and what I've wanted. And I feel so blessed that uh, that has been realized thus far for me because I know there are so many women who wanted children and can't have any. So I'm so thankful for the seven that I have. Uh, For me, it's besides being a desire, ultimately, it's a commandment. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that is my belief system and structure. And we really believe in families. Uh, I believe that it is my divine nature as a woman to be a mother, to bear and rear children. And to me, that is a sacred responsibility, not just something that I get to do that is a joy, but it's a responsibility that I have. I really believe that I am the happiest that I can be and that I'm the closest to fulfilling, to reaching my divine potential when I am being a mother. And that includes everything from changing diapers, doing laundry, cooking, cleaning, listening, comforting my children, teaching my children, cheering for them. To me, all of those things are divine. They're a sacred responsibility and it's leading me to the happiest, the happiest that I can be and the best that I can be. And it's not because I don't have other talents or abilities. There are other things that I can do. There are other things that I 
enjoy doing, but I really believe that this is the best thing that I can be doing right now with being a mother. From the time I had my first child, people were always telling me, watch out, it goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. And I didn't just brush that off and, you know, oh yeah, of course it goes by fast. I really considered that here I have all of these t people telling me how fast it goes by and I didn't want to, I don't want to miss that. Um, you know, the song in um, Mary Poppins when Bert is singing to the father and he says, he sings child, childhood slips like sand through a sieve. And here is I'm rocking a small baby. I'm like, this is going to go away from... I mean, have you ever watched sand go through a sieve? That's fast. And so my husband and I enjoy each other, but we enjoy each other with our children. We enjoy seeing our children, and we are enjoying this time of our life, uh, just watching them grow and, and being with them as much as we can because I think we're going to have... Well, we hope to have, you never know what's going to happen in life, but I think we're going to have a lot of time after they're grown and gone. And so uh, we don't plan a lot of nights away. I don't think we're going to look back and wish that we had spent less time with our children. It might help to go back a little as well to where Andrea came from. Obviously, her religious beliefs have a huge bearing in her decision to have a large family, but a large family is also pretty much all she knows. I have eight siblings, so there are nine of us all together. I'm the third oldest, and I loved it. I loved my family. I still do, actually. Mm -hmm. I love my siblings. They're some of my very favorite people. And I think, I think that coming from a relatively large family helps a lot because if you say to somebody there are counting my parents there are 11 people in my family that sounds like this huge number to people but we never felt that way like kneeling together for prayer or gathered around the table eating together it wasn't like whoa there are so many of us here and it wasn't a number either it wasn't it was never a number it was that's my brother, that's my sister, that's, that's my mom, you know, that they were, they were people. They are people, not numbers. And so that definitely made a huge difference. My mother told me once that she thought that she was done having children but after her seventh, but that she had a dream. Um... Sorry, this makes me cry because I think it's so sweet. There were two little girls playing in her dream. And because of that dream, they decided to have more children. And guess what? I have two little sisters because of that. And uh, I think that's a really sweet thing. I don't think if my family hadn't been happy, I don't think I would want to have a big family myself but I just we just always thought it was the greatest another good way of looking at it is try looking at it backwards and say okay my mom had nine children do I wish she had had any less like which of my siblings would I have given back when you're looking at it from forwards then it is just a number but if you remembered no we're talking about people we're talking about spirits 
And so here's something else that I think of a lot. I have never heard anybody say they wish they had fewer children. Andrea knew from a pretty young age that she wanted a large family as well. In fact, when she started dating her husband, it came up pretty early on as kind of a screening question. When we were dating, Ryan asked how many children I wanted to have. And I did not think that he and I were made for each other. I did not think that that relationship was going to last. So I figured I just better throw out some big number so he knew that I was going to have a big family and that he, I was sure he would not be interested in that. So I told him I wanted 12 children. And instead of running away, he kind of nodded thoughtfully and he suggested that uh, he thought five would be a good number. Um, but he didn't argue with my 12 at all. And I can't remember how or when it happened. But uh, he gradually came to agree with me and wanted a big family. So at this point, if you ask if you ask Ryan how many kids he wanted, he would never say, well, it's just how many my wife wants. You would think it was his idea, frankly, to have a large family. At this point, Andrea hasn't given up on a dozen, though she thinks it might be a little unrealistic based on her age and how her body seems to be changing as she ages. But for the most part, things have worked out pretty well. Becoming a mother that first time was not the disorienting shock that many women feel. It rocked her world in a different way. After I had my first one, that was so amazing. And the idea that I could have that again was even more amazing. So amazing that she jumped right in and had four babies very quickly. The oldest turned four years old the same week that her fourth baby was born. And that period of motherhood turned out to be the hardest time, as you can probably imagine. That was really close. That was really hard because I had my oldest turned four the week, one week before my fourth child was born. And that was a hard time. <laughs> then after, after my fourth was born, I was able to become pregnant again, but then I had a miscarriage. And that was really, really devastating. Not so much. I mean, it was early on, so I didn't feel a loss like I had lost a child. It was just that I was ready for a baby and I wasn't having one. And I thought that I was for three months. And so that was really, really hard because that wasn't my plan. My plan was I was going to have all these children and I didn't see how that was going to be done um, if I wasn't having babies closer together. Even then, I was able to become pregnant again pretty quickly. And my, um, so my fifth child was born. I think this, the time between the two of them is 23 months. So it was still less than two years. But since then, the space has gotten bigger and bigger right now. Um, I don't want to talk about that much because I'm kind of emotional. I really would like, I've, my baby is coming up on 18 months. This is the longest I've ever gone without being pregnant again, and it's hard. I wondered if, during that difficult time, when she had four kids, four and under, if she ever thought maybe she'd made a bad plan, that maybe she wasn't cut out to have a large family, that maybe she should scale back her hopes. I don't remember ever thinking that I wanted fewer children. I do remember when my sister asked me if I was going to have children that close again. I said no. 
Um, but I didn't, I don't remember ever thinking that I wanted fewer children, but I will tell you something that's unexpected. And I try to tell this to moms because I've had people ask me, so like, when was the hardest time? And that was it. When I had three children and four children and they were all small, that was hard. There's a lot of work to be done with seven children. And I know there are people who have more than, you know, more than that. But for me, that time period was the hardest. What I did not see coming was that in a couple more years, those children are old enough to buckle themselves into car seats. But not only that, they're old enough to buckle their siblings into car seats. That made a huge difference in my life. It was a whole new world when I had a child who could hold the baby for me. I took a picture one day of my daughter trying to think how old she would have been, eight or nine, with the baby, rocking in a chair so peacefully, so sweet. And I took a picture and sent it to uh, my sisters and sisters-in-law who were, I was the first one married in my family, so all their families were very new. They all, I think all of them had either one or two very small children. So I sent that picture to them and I said, today's shower was brought to you by... Um, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter who was rocking the baby. And I said, don't give up. <laughs> don't give up too soon because you don't really see that coming. Like it's not having seven children isn't like having seven children all under the age of three. It changes. They get old enough to help, to be by themselves, to watch their younger siblings. Andrea says that it's pretty rare now that she is out and about with all seven of her children. But when she is, she does have to have some tools at her disposal in case she receives unkind comments or unfair judgments. She thinks that this is God's work she is doing and that she is happy to serve him in any way she can. She thinks of how she can provide a safe and loving home and that she would like as many children as possible to grow up in that kind of environment. She focuses on herself, her personal mission, and tries to stop herself from thinking too much about what other people might think of her. And while Andrea is adamant that this is exactly how she wants to be spending her life and that her hopes for the future, post-childbearing and rearing, are extremely modest, maybe have some quiet dinners with her husband on occasion, she does acknowledge that this choice is a huge sacrifice of, well, everything. Sacrifices? Mm -hmm. My answer to that is everything. I've given up everything to have children, and that's not a bad thing. Um... Just your personal comfort is the first thing. Our body, we give up our bodies to house and grow another person's body and to feed and nourish them. Frankly, actually, I think having babies in some ways has been really good for my body. It's an amazing thing to learn what kind of power your body has. And then the sacrifice of time, I slowly have eliminated things, maybe not eliminated, but put on hold for a time that I loved and do. I don't listen. I used to listen to music all of the time. And now I feel like I need to be listening to my children. I need to hear where they are. I need to hear what they're doing and what they're talking about. My emotions, emotions, Thinking about, just thinking about your children is like having your heart go walking around outside of your body. How easy 
how much easier it would be to not spread yourself out like that. It's a lot of risk that we're taking on, a lot of risk. And the question of bringing children into this world, when you see the, I, I think, I don't think I'm the only woman who's ever wondered, you know, is it right to bring a children into a world that um, has so much bad or so much potential even for bad. But then I go back to Mary, who was told she was having the son of God. She must have known what was going to happen to him. And yet she was willing to open her heart up to that kind of pain and suffering. Like, I think a mother's pain would be as great, if not worse, than, you know, seeing her son suffering like that on the cross. I feel like she is such an example to what we are supposed to do and what we're supposed to be willing to do. So I don't know what you can give up more than more than that. Your physical body, your emotional state, your mental health, it takes all my thought just trying to figure out how can I manage. I'm not, I would not have ever described myself as a very organized person. I'm a, definitely a procrastinator and organization does not come easily to me and frankly I have a huge tendency towards laziness just as a matter of survival I have had to work hard and spend a lot of time praying and just asking the question how can I become more efficient I need more time to do what I need to accomplish in any given day and it's interesting because as I think about it I have ideas come to me for how I can do things faster mm -hmm. or better And it's, and it's working out, but it requires all of my mental energy. It's what I'm doing all the time. I don't have time to be reading my favorite book or I don't, I don't even know what else, what else do women do anymore? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, whatever it is, I haven't been doing it for so long. <laughs> I think the more you sacrifice and the more you just give are willing to give up yourself. The Bible says, Jesus says, he who loses, what is it? He who loses his life for my sake will find right. it. And he who's busy finding his life is going to be the one who loses it. So I'm not busy spending a lot of time saying, well, who am I through all of this? Who, what is really important to me through all of this? No, that's not what I'm wondering. Because like I said, before. I really believe that this is my divine nature. This is who I am. There's nothing better mm -hmm. that I can be doing this. So I'm just giving myself 100% to this job and we'll mm -hmm. see what happens. We really appreciate Alana and Stephanie and Andrea for sharing their thoughts with us on this sensitive and very personal topic. We hope that it's been helpful to those of you who may be considering having a large family or wondering what might drive a person to have so many kids. We are always grateful for your feedback and support, and we hope that you'll share this episode with those who may benefit from it. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'd love to listen to you too. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, find us on Facebook and Instagram, or look us up on Patreon. Thanks to Ben Howell, Ellen Barnhart, and Tyson Schenk for the music, to Ryan Barnhart for helping us get this rocket launched, and to Micah Heisel 
Micah, we are all really excited about your Klingon translation of Hamilton. I can't wait. Cuckoo, <laughs> 